Well, howdy, good morning on all of our campuses. Want to welcome you wherever you're coming in from. I hope you're excited about Easter. We surely are. Our team has been prepping and preparing, and we hope you'll join us and bring some family and friends with you. We're going to celebrate the resurrection power of King Jesus on that day. Surprise, surprise. Uh, Well, welcome to church, Anderson Campus. You look great, but could you help me welcome all of our other campuses and folks joining us online, wherever you're leaning in from. We're excited that you're here, and, uh, and that's about all I'm going to do in way of intro. I want to invite you to open up your, your Bibles to the book of Genesis chapter 1, Genesis chapter 2. We'll get to 1 Corinthians chapter 6 later if you want to do that. Genesis 1, 2, 1 Corinthians chapter 6, and uh, I've got a lot of content to share, and I've got to do it in a timely manner so that our Kids Spring folks are happy with me, all right, amen? Uh, But more than our kids bring folks so that the Lord's happy with what we're doing here. I'm gonna ask God to help us, but let me give a little bit of preface before we pray together. We've been in a series called We Believe. And this series has been a declarative series about gaining God's perspective on some critical issues. And so this entire series, I think, has been one of the most helpful. We've been hearing from so many of you because here's the reason that this is such a a powerful series right now, because right now we live in a world that seems to be swirling, and, uh, and we're going to continue to remain in a world that seems to be swirling. There's going to be fact-checking, and there's going to be fake news, and there's going to be all kinds of agenda behind information, and in that kind of place where you're raising families, or you're trying to live life or build career, you need to know what's true. And so we stand in a moment where our job as Christians from the scriptures, Paul tells Timothy in 1 Timothy 3, is to be a pillar and a buttress of truth. Our job as the church is to uphold truth. That's our job description. And so if truth is not upheld, it's our fault. And so one of the calls of the saint, those that follow the way of Jesus, is to do our best to not not be judgmental, not, not, not to throw darts, but to uphold truth because we've said this phrase over and over again, truth is clarity and clarity is kindness. And so we've been around the idea, just by way of of recap, of absolute truth. And just to remind us, absolute truth is the belief that there is a truth that exists outside of us. That we were born into a capital T truth world. That there are many givens that you were born into. Sir, you were born into a world with truths, like gravity. And no no matter how we feel, uh, these things are true. Uh, But our world today would tell a different story. The world today would tell us that truth is something that is fluid and something that is internal. That truth is to be found in here. And that is not true. If you try to do that, you're going to recognize that there's 7 billion plus truths in the world. And that all of those truths will wage war on one another. And that ultimately nobody ends up living lives of health and wholeness. And so we covered that week one. We then talked about the tensions. Uh, Pastor Trevor Cox and I got a chance to do that. You can go back and watch it of of absolute truth and then convictions and then opinions. You'll remember the dartboard. And uh, I told you on that week that I was going to cover one of the specifics that we had laid up on the board in terms of sex and sexuality. And that's my job here today. So if you're taking notes or if you want to open up the app, all these notes are preloaded. Today I am laying out a theology of sex and sexuality. And so I appreciate all the encouragement this week. I've gotten a lot of people letting me know they're praying for us. But I want you to know that I am excited because I think this is one of the most helpful things that the church could be found doing 
is holding up truth so that people might find life. Because here's the bottom line. I'm going to look right down the barrel of the camera and look at you right in the eyes. If I didn't and we didn't believe this to be true in the way of life, we wouldn't stand up here and talk about it. So what we're not going to do today is try to win an argument. What we're going to do today is try to point to a way of life. A way that brings life. If you're a young person in the room and your mom and dad uh, uh, prepared you for this conversation, you should be so proud of your parents. Moms and dads, well done. If you're a middle schooler and high schooler, I'm going to do my best to not make it any more awkward than it is when we talk about sex and sexuality. But I want you to know it's incredibly important. And I'm going to talk to you today like I'm sitting with my kids. Because I've got a seven-year-old and I've got a five-year-old. And those two girls, we've already begun to broach this conversation. Because if we don't talk about it, they're going to find out about it from the world. From a different kind of perspective and worldview. And, uh, and so that's, that's something the church, I just want to say out loud, the church has to talk more about sex. We have to. Because here's the, the, re the reality. We can't say that just out there in the world people are having sex. Right here, we're having sex. We're operating in a sexual reality. And so we've got to, somebody's laughing awkwardly. We're, we've got, my birthday's today, by the way, and people want to know how many people have birthdays in March. Like, can I go, go ahead and let you know? The reason people have birthdays in March is because March is nine months after that first week or two of vacation in summertime. All right? So if your birthday's in March and you do a little bit of the math, all right, there's that first week of vacation, June, June second week, June third week. And so uh, if your birthday's right around March like mine, happy birthday one and then two, uh, just know your mom and dad enjoyed that vacation week in June, okay? All right. Uh, yeah, so, uh, so here, here's the deal. We've got to recognize the world's out here and the, and the church can't afford to be silent on this. The church can't afford to be silent on this. And so I'm going to do my best to lay out four uh, principles from Scripture where truth is found. And these principles, I'm just going to say out front, they're going to step on all of our toes. Is that okay? Can we, can we be okay with that? And there is not going to be one person or one group that is going to get their toes tap danced on. Here's, here's the reality. If the culture of God's kingdom tap dances on our toes, we just need to be okay with it. And it's going to do surgery, and it's going to be helpful, and it's going to send us in a, in a direction towards life. And so I'm going to pray for us, and then we're going to jump in. Father God, help. Help. This, this could be so complex and so combative and so personal, but God, we know you have ways that bring life. We know you can be trusted. And so, Lord, I come to you pastorally and I ask you to hold my tongue to your truths. And, Lord, I pray for all of us. Would you make our hearts malleable? Would you allow all of us who carry all the things, the preferences and the sexual baggage and the, the upbringing and, and our worldview, we bring all that to the table, but here we are and we place ourselves humbly in your space to do surgery. So would you help moms and dads? Would you help married couples? Would you help single people? Would you help folks that are, that are coming with agenda? Would you help folks that have come with sexual trauma or baggage to this conversation? And Lord, would you do the good work of gospel ministry? We ask in Christ's name. Amen. Point number one I want you to write down today is simply this. When you look at scripture, you need to know that we believe when we talk about sex and sexuality, we are talking about God. The reason this is such a loaded conversation, if you want to know, maybe you don't come from a Christian worldview and you want to know what's the big deal, why do Christians care so much about it, it's this point. It's because the Bible would teach, the Bible would teach that when we talk about sex or sexuality, we're talking about God. 
That's found very clearly in the very first chapter of Scripture. I want to show it to you. It's in Genesis chapter 1, 26 and 27. This is the creation story, and it says, Then God said, Let us, I want to emphasize the us there, the plural, let us make man in our image after our likeness. And let them have dominion over the fish of the sea, over the birds of the heavens, and over the livestock, and over the earth, and over every creeping thing that creeps on the earth. So God created man in his own image. In the image of God, he created him male and female. He created them. What we're seeing here is, is known as the Imago Day. Come join me at the chalkboard because I love to write on the chalkboard and I think it's really helpful. We see the plurality of the Godhead. You, you'll see this image from time to time of three circles overlaid. Oh, it was so good. The first two were so good, and then I, I bombed on the third one, y'all. Okay, all right. But this is uh, the image of what is known as the Trinity. The Trinity. Let us, God says, God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit, let us create man and woman in our image. And so what we have to see is that we were created to be a little version of the Trinity on earth. This is known as the Imago Dei. That is simply Latin for image of God. Now you've got to feel the weight of this human, male, female, because God created a bunch of beautiful things. And he created the, the skies and the oceans and the fish. And he created all the animals. He created the stars. He created galaxies. And none of them were given the incredible privilege or the incredible responsibility to image bear him. And so we need to feel the weight of this. We feel the weight of this. And that's why you're wondering, um, Christians care so much about this idea of male and female, this idea of sex and sexuality. Like We've got to get a God perspective on it. It's because God designed us to be, and I'll come bring over here, God designed us to be a mirror. So the mirror is the very best example that I could put in front of you to reflect the glory of God. And in our character and in our nature, we are called to reflect God's image to the earth. Now, point number two that I want you to write down, because it's also equally important that we believe that the scripture teaches. Point number two is simply this. We believe we were sexual before we were sinful. We believe we were sexual, and you see I've got it underscored, before we were sinful. So Genesis chapter 2, just one chapter over, um, the description of the, the garden scene of man and woman with God in this Edenic state, this beautiful Eden, this relationship with God, relationship with one another. Here's how it's described in verses 24 and 25. God's word says, therefore a man shall leave his father and his mother and hold fast to his wife, look right here, and they shall become one flesh. And the man and his wife were both naked and were not ashamed. Now, if you're sitting by your parents right here, this gets real awkward. If you're sitting with your kids right here, this could potentially get real awkward. But I want you to see this. Before sin enters the world, we have a God who has designed humanity to male, female, in the covenant of marriage, to know one another beautifully, mysteriously, sexually, and feel no shame. Now, this is where the Imago Dei image really gets robust because you see God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit, but then now you see Adam and Eve knowing one another, now procreating and bringing 
all human life. So part of our role as the Imago Dei is to marry and know one another intimately that we might procreate. So the idea of marriage in the garden is both consummation, but it's also for procreation and good news, husband and wife, because God would go on and tell us in his word that it's also about recreation. And so marriage is defined by God. And so what I wanted to say with all of these words, Genesis 1 and 2, is quoted in the mouth of King Jesus thousands of years later. He would, in Matthew 19, literally pull these two texts and he would quote them when talking about marriage. You want to know why saints, followers of the words and the ways of Jesus Christ, believe in marriage as defined in Genesis 1 and 2, believe in male and female as defined in Genesis 1 and 2, believe in the covenantal consummation of marriage that God defines and not the world describes. It's because Jesus talked about it. And if he talked about it, then we're going to bend to it. We've said this again and again and again. We either can decide that we're going to look at the Word of God and we're going to make the Word of God bend to our feelings or we're going to take ourselves and submit it under the Word of God and we're going to bend ourselves to God's truth. So here is Genesis 1 and Genesis 2 in the mouth of Jesus in Matthew 19. You can go and read that entire chapter. We see this definition described. But here is not where our reality is in 2021 at the recording of this sermon at New Spring Church. We do not live there. That seems so beautiful and Edenic and perfect. But point number three, that if we're going to talk about a theology of sex and sexuality, we must address is simply this. We believe, and the Bible teaches, that all humanity has been shattered by sinfulness and is in need of a sexual revolution. This is the, the part that we've got to understand. And, and Augustine was probably the person that spoke about this early on the best. And he, he described this idea of original sin. Augustine, of course, was the Bishop of Hippo, one of our northern African um, patriarchs, fathers of the Christian faith. And he actually, one of the reasons I love what he has to say about this is Augustine came out of sexual brokenness. He had a mistress, a lifelong mistress. He had kids, not in terms of marriage. And he was a Roman and operated like a Roman for a long time until he met Jesus and then things began to change. But here's what we've got to address is we talk about the fact that, that we are the imago Dei. We are the image of God. And so we were created to reflect. Are you seeing me reflect right here? In the earth to reflect God's goodness in our gender, in our sexuality, in our marriage, in our love. But then Genesis chapter 3 happens. I'm not going to read Genesis chapter 3, but I'm going to paraphrase what happens in Genesis chapter 3. Satan shows up in the garden in this beautiful relationship where Adam and Eve are image-bearing, naked and unashamed. And they, they are given a choice. Satan gives the choice to Adam and Eve. You can trust the words and the ways of God or you can believe me. And you can trust that God perhaps is holding something back that he's perhaps lying to you. 
And so this whole story is told when Eve begins to say yes to the fruit and says, hey, God doesn't want you to know something. He doesn't want you to know the tree of life. He, he doesn't want you to know the, the, the knowledge of good and evil. He's going to hold that to just himself. But you, you can choose another way. And the minute that Eve chooses another way, we see a fracture. And I know that that sound is shattering, but I need us to all get ourselves right here. Because sinfulness, Genesis chapter 3, what St. Augustine would tell us is we were all born into the wake of our first mother and father's sinfulness. Now this is, this is something I need all of us to feel all 14 campuses, I need you to repeat after me the word all. Say all on three. One, two, three, all. I need everyone to feel this. We are all born here. Especially when it comes to our sex and our sexuality. One of the lies that we can tell is that we are not here. And that somehow when we were born, we were born unshattered and unbroken. But I want us to just stay here for a moment and I want us to deal with this. Our sex and our sexuality is shattered. And, and you might not feel it yet, 12-year-old young man. But you will feel it soon enough. 15-year-old sister, you may not feel this yet, but you will soon enough. More than likely you are very aware of this because you are born into a world where you see sex and sexuality is broken. And this speaks to all the other places in sin that we deal with too. But I'm just going to stay focused right here. And this, this shattering is, is where pornography comes from. Pornography is, is from this. Billion dollars of industry made because of our sexual shout pornography. This, this is where adultery comes from. This is, again, this is where I'm going to just let you know the scriptures are equal opportunity offenders. This right here, this, this is where shacking up comes from. This is where divorce comes from. This is where abortion comes from. This is where homosexuality comes from. This is where all of our sexual brokenness, this is where being married, listen, being married but not actually being intimate comes from. This is where incest comes from. This is where pedophilia comes from. This is where sex trafficking comes from. It comes from this place. And, and here's what happens. In our world, we try to sit right here. And here's the brokenness. We try to come from internal, personal preference to fix it. And I just wanted to give you an image of what that's like. You're, 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 you know this about yourself and you try to come at your best you can as a postmodern, post-enlightenment, 2021 reality. And so I'm going to lean in and I'm going to try to piece together my broken sexuality, the abuse, the, maybe perhaps the, the trauma, maybe perhaps the third marriage, maybe perhaps the addiction. Um, maybe, maybe we think wrongly that if I just get married, it'll fix it. I just want to say out loud... If you get married in a state of brokenness, you're not going to fix it. It's just going to magnify the brokenness. We have a sexual brokenness that we must address, and it is all sweeping, inclusive of everyone. We don't fix sexual brokenness by picking on someone else's sexual brokenness and saying they're the problem. 
It's all of our issues, and we all find ourselves here. This is confessional Christian reality. Everyone has sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. And sin is not just something we do. Look at me. Sin is something we are. We are this. Young person sin with mom and dad. You were born broken. And we can prove this. We can know right and wrong and we still choose the wrong things to do. Don't we? We do. I mean, we can know right and wrong. I'm telling my not even two-year-old son, is it? Should, are we supposed to hit our sister? He, he says, hi-ya. That's how he talks about hitting. Are you supposed to hi-ya your sisters? No. Okay. And then he leaves and goes and hi-ya's his sister. What is that, son? You know that that's going to require you to be disciplined, right? Lovingly, graciously disciplined. But here's the reality where we are. Now, listen, I want to show you some things because church has gotten this wrong too. Christians have gotten this wrong too. Christians, instead of being here, sometimes we'll say this. This is purity culture, okay? I don't know if you've seen purity culture. Purity culture says that we're, we were born like this, that we, were born, that we were born not broken, and that if we just hold on to our virginity till marriage, then we're okay. Can I just say this in the camera right here? I want you to know this. Virgins who never ask Jesus Christ to heal them, holy, save them, will die earthly and spend eternity apart from Jesus too. In short, virgins go to hell as well. So, so and I, as a youth pastor at New Spring Church, I need you to feel this because the goal is not just simply virginity. That's not the goal. So if you're out there and you're feeling like, oh my gosh, that other picture of shattering, that describes me. And somebody else is feeling self-righteous because you're like, man, I don't even struggle there. That's not even my deal. I want you to know that, that just being a virgin is not the goal either. So what do we do? What's the goal? Well, we need a sexual revolution. Now, I say sexual revolution with uh, sexual healing. And some of y'all got Marvin Gaye on the mind, Okay. I know, right? You can hear the song in your head. Well, you know, here's the bottom line. Sexual revolution with sexual healing. Um, sexual revolution, many people wrongly believe, happened in the 1960s. The 1960s, you know, was known as free love. 70s, right? You can love anyone. So, but I want you to know that the sexual revolution didn't happen in the 1960s. The sexual revolution in the earth, the massive one that changed everything, it happened in 60 A.D., when Christ followers that were convinced of the gospel of Jesus began to do something so countercultural to everybody else in the Greco-Roman world that it shocked the entire nation. Uh, matter of fact, there's a historian, his name's Kyle Harper. He, he would say it like this. Kyle Harper would say the real sexual revolution was not the promiscuity that has transformed the West since the 1960s. It was the insistence of faithful monogamy, allowing a biblical definition, faithful monogamy in a way that constrained men but actually liberated women. That transformed the Roman Empire through the influence of early Christianity. If you want to really know that this is not some kind of archaic and antiquated way, because that's what a lot of people today will say, trusting the biblical definition of male and female and sexuality in the, in the confines of covenantal marriage, that that's antiquated. No, it's not. It's revolutionary. And it brings fruitfulness. And it brings life. And it brings health. 
but it's going to require us to recognize it. That's why Paul, in so many of his letters, Paul wrote 13 letters in the New Testament to churches all over the Mediterranean rim. Uh, all of them were in the wake of this broken sexuality. As a matter of fact, we think that we are broken sexually today. There was more brokenness, I would argue, in a first century Roman Gr Greece uh, world than there is now. Ongoing all the time. I mean, it was, the, it was the everywhere. It was unapologetic. It was, it was bold. It was on Main Street. It wasn't into the corners, shoved into the corners. It was everywhere. And probably no place had more of this sexual brokenness um, historically, biblically, than in the city of Corinth. So Paul's writing to the church there. I mean, this church, y'all, was just unbelievably broken. They had, they had people in the church that were just unapologetic, and they were trying to figure out how to follow Jesus, but how to, how to correct their broken sexuality. So Paul would write to them and encourage them. But here's what he says in 1 Corinthians 6, verses 9 and following. He says, or do you not know Christ's follower? Do you not know that the unrighteous will not inherit the kingdom of God? He's talking about the kingdom. He's talking about heaven. He's talking about what's ours in Jesus. And he says, you're not going to inherit it following a different way. Don't be deceived. Don't listen to lies. Neither the sexually immoral, nor idolaters, nor adulterers, nor men who practice homosexuality, nor thieves, nor the greedy, nor drunkards, nor revilers, nor swindlers will inherit the kingdom of God. Now look at verse 11. Because I think it's important because it gets us all back over there into our glass-shattered shards. He says, and such were some of you. One of the best things that we can do, follower of Jesus, is to recognize where we came from. Where Jesus saved us from. The shattering and the shards of our sexual brokenness in the past. And I'm standing up here preaching to you, not because I have it all figured out, but because I know a Jesus who is healed and made me whole. And I want you to know him. I want you to know his ways because they change things. They change families. They change generations but you're going to have to reconcile this truth. And such were some of you, but you were washed. And you were sanctified and you were justified in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ and by the Spirit of our God. Which brings me to my fourth and final point. So we believe our sexual healing and our wholeness, they actually preach a clear gospel message. Our sexual healing and wholeness, one of the reasons that... God allows us to journey through it is so that we might preach a clear, good news message that it doesn't matter how shattered you are, how many generations of shattering your family has experienced, it doesn't matter the abuse you've caused or the abuse you've received, that there is healing in and only in the cross of Christ. That's what this teaches. That's what this teaches. You need to know that if you're going to build your life and it's going to withstand the storms and the winds and the, and the swells of culture, you're not going to find another truth somewhere else. You're not going to find an, an epistemology, a, a way to coming to know something is true somewhere else. It's not going to come from your preferential feelings. It's not preference. It's coming from a fixed point externally of reference. Catch that. It's not preference, it's reference. It's not a feeling that is fluid. It is a fixed point of reference in order to be submitted to. So I look at the camera and I say to you, Jesus follower, he may be your savior, but in this area of sexuality, is he your Lord? I look at you and I say to you with love, if you come and you recognize you've got brokenness that you've tried to clean up and you've tried to, tried to, 
get around a culture that would allow you to just be the brokenness you're in. And you, you feel, listen, listen, listen. You need to recognize that God has an opportunity. He says, come follow my ways. Come follow it. Single, married, single again, divorced, broken, abused. You, you paid for the abortion. You've had the abortion. You need to know the good news of the gospel is not a bunch of cleaned up, prettied up church people on a Sunday morning. It's a bunch of broken people that say, thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. You've saved me. You've saved me. And so we need to find ourselves today in a different place. We need to find ourselves today with, with shards of shattering. Here's going to be the invitation when it comes to what we believe about sexuality. It's, it's gathering our shards of brokenness and saying, Jesus, Jesus Christ, Jesus, <laughs> I bring it to you. I bring it to you. I, I bring you my past. I bring you my college years. I bring you my first marriage. I bring you my pornography. I bring you my, my homosexuality. I bring you my, my born-in same-sex attraction. I bring you the desire in me heterosexually to have sex with anything that moves. I bring you my insecurity. I bring it to you, and I lay it at your feet. I want to show you this in a closing illustration because I want you to feel this. Because here is what ultimately you need to recognize and these are going to be really sorry and sad looking, but they're the best I can do. These are thrones. Throne number one. Throne number two. We've got to ask the question today, every single one of us, of who is on the throne when it comes to our sexuality. The world's way is to put sex on the throne. Listen to me. Even the progressive Christian way is to put sex on the throne. And so what they'll do, listen, they'll, they'll ask, lowercase g, they'll ask the God that they create in their mind to serve their sex and sexuality. Think about this. This is how rationalization and justification of our sexual sin exists. All of our sexual sin. Sex is actually on the throne. Sex is on the throne. Sex is the end goal. Sex is the end goal of both the person that says, I'm going to manipulate the, the Bible, lowercase b, the translations of the Bible to justify my same-sex activity. And it's the same way that we would justify our purity culture. And we'd say, no, 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 I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to stay a virgin because my sex is on the throne. That's, that's the brokenness of the world, friends. That's the deception. That's it. This is how we have Christians who, who, who call themselves Christ followers, and while they're dating, they're hooking up. That's, that's how cohabitation and shacking up works. It's, no, no, I'm saved. I'm a Christian. But I want you to see today, you, you might be saved. You might be a Christian. Or you could be in danger of just being lied to by Satan. And you think you're right and you think you're well. But really, sex is on the throne. Hey, young lady, if you're living with a man today who's not your husband, I want you to really ask him something today. He tells you he loves you. He tells you that he's going to marry you. Um, today's the day you get to ask him, well, is sex and sexuality really on the throne of your heart? You tell me you're a Christian. But that's really what's on the throne. Versus, come over here. We today put God on the throne. He's not just our Savior who died on the cross, but He's the Lord of our lives. And we make everything serve Him. Everything. Sex serves Him, but watch, watch this. So does our brokenness. Our broken past serves Him. 
You see, God is not intimidated from our brokenness. As a matter of fact, Jesus didn't just boom from heaven, come to me and I'll save you. He actually entered in and he entered into our brokenness. And he says, look, I'm not intimidated by this. John chapter 4, John chapter 8, two beautiful examples of just how Jesus Christ is not intimidated from sexual brokenness. He gets down in the dirty of it and he says, young lady, don't live with your fifth husband after you've already had four before it. But instead, let me forgive you. Go and sin no more. He's, he's not going to not address the issue. He's going to love her right in the middle of her brokenness and tell her to go and sin no more. He calls it what it is. And you know what she does? She's blown away by this love and grace. She runs back into the city and tells everyone about King Jesus. I've met him. I've met Yeshua. I've met the one who knew everything I ever did, and he loved me anyway. John chapter 8, we find Jesus in Jerusalem on the ground again, not intimidated by the brokenness of sexual sin. A woman caught in the act of adultery, so she's probably half clothed. The, the Levitical law says, throw her down and stone her. Jesus, what do you say? And Jesus says, the one who's without sexual sin, you pick up a stone and throw it. And you know what they all do, even the most religious? They drop the rocks because they know they're sexually broken too. And he talks to her with love in his eyes and he forgives her and he reestablishes her because he knows that actually preaches a better gospel. So here's the invitation, here's some questions, just application, we're turning now. I wanna ask you to be renewed. I wanna ask you to have your mind renewed right now. Do, do battle with this. Wrestle with this. Two questions to help you. Question number one that I want to look right at you and say that you've got to ask in terms of this. Question number one from the positive. Are, is there a clearer gospel that you could preach with your sex or your sexuality? You're single, you're married. Is there a clearer gospel? You've been given the potential in God to preach the gospel with your marriage or with your dating life or with, with your purity as a single person. You've been given the opportunity as someone who's maybe saved, but, but you've walked through divorce. Starting today, forward, you get a chance to preach a clear gospel. So think about this. Is there a way to do it better? All right, let's ask it in a negative way. Here's the negative way to ask it. Is there anywhere in your life with your sex and your sexuality you're preaching a false gospel? Think about this. This is what's so hypocritical. Paul writes about this all through 1 Corinthians 6. It's so hypocritical of someone who's saying that Jesus Christ is the Lord of my heart, but I'm going to hook up with my girlfriend all through spring break. Or hook up with my boyfriend. Or I'm in my second marriage. Or not, we're not married yet, but... We've both already, we're mature, we're, we're mature adults, so, so we're already, you know, we're already, we've already crossed that intimacy bridge. We're not, we're not in covenantal marriage yet, but we both came out of, you know, so we're just going to hook up a little bit. Listen, I'm not, I'm not getting this to you to step on your toes. That's not the point here. The point is not to win arguments. The point is to, to point out life, the way of life. And we all come to Jesus the same way, broken, in need of healing and wholeness. And so there's a missiological, that's just a long way to say, a mission that's attached to our sexuality. There's a missiological connection. We're called to live out the Great Commission. And the way we love our spouses, the way we die to ourselves in our marriage, the way we live 
live pure and pursue Jesus in our singleness, the way we, we would have hard conversations, even if, if we da- were dating and we'd gone too far, the reason we would in- engage in this is because we are bringing glory to God through it. And he steps in and he heals us of our pornography, of the abuse, of the past, of the history. That's what's on offer today for you and for me. So as we bring our time to a close, I just want to invite you into conversations. I want to invite you into openness. I want to invite you not to push away to the dark. I want to invite you into community. Maybe you've already got that established. Maybe you need that. I'm so excited about what's going on at our church because people are getting back around in circles again. We've, we've been having some men's events. I know yesterday in Florence and in Aiken, we had some of these men's events where guys were able to own up to some of this. Maybe this is a conversation that you need to have with your, your girlfriend or your boyfriend. Maybe young person. Maybe there's, there's some, some things that you've been doing that mom and dad don't know about that you need to just be open and honest with them about. And you don't need to feel like the enemy wants you to be quiet and not tell anybody and just try to fix it yourself. I've been there. It doesn't work. It just keeps you in shame and it keeps you on a path of destruction. Maybe today's the day you need to tell mom and dad about what you've been looking at on your phone. Maybe today's the day you need to talk to a friend about what you've been doing with your boyfriend or your girlfriend. Not so that shame can abound, but so that grace can abound and so that life can come out because here's God. He brings good fruit out of manure. That's just not rural farmer talk. That's what God does with the gospel. He brings good fruit out of manure. And we rob him of the chance of bringing glorious good fruit when we try to keep things in the dark. So New Spring Church, our King and our Savior is not intimidated by whatever shattering is going on in your life. He invites you in. And I promise you, if you'll enthrone him with your life and you'll take sex off the actual practical throne of your heart, you're going to walk in some ways that bring life to you in life to those that you impact and it'll stand out in a world that has never seen anything like it, just like it stood out 2,000 years ago when men and women decided to be married and not go the way of culture. They stood out and they shine bright for King Jesus. Can I invite you to your feet on our campuses? I'm going to pray for us and then we're going to step into a time of response where we begin to create a little ministry space for all of us. So Father God, I ask right now, wherever we each are, and you know where each one of us are, you love each and every one of us. You love us even though we are in the midst of brokenness, shattered. But God, that we would not stay in the bloody, busted, broken spaces, but instead would trust you. Lord, I pray that your Holy Spirit, and I believe, has been wooing and drawing men and women back to your goodness, your grace, your your life. So, Lord, we lean into your perfect sacrifice, King Jesus, on the cross, and we put our confidence in that work to defeat sin and death. And we say yes to your ways, and we enthrone you, God. We enthrone you, Jesus. And we're going to use our sex and our sexuality, our brokenness and our story, to point out your gospel good news as we declare it to a world in such need. Would you be honored now on every single campus as we respond? In Christ's name we pray. Amen.